Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, hey, welcome to Page Break. I'm your host, Brian McClellan, coming to you on a windy, dusty day in the mountains of Utah. A quick reminder that my new book, In the Shadow of Lightning, came out last week. Be sure to pick it up, and if you already have, do me the greatest solid by leaving a review on Goodreads, Amazon, or your favorite bookstore website. Tell your friends and family about the book, maybe discuss it on social media. Generally, help me get the word out. Thanks to everyone who has already purchased and reviewed, I love you all. Now, quick warning, this is another quite sweary episode, so if you have small kids around or you happen to be my mother, maybe skip this one. Now on with the show. My guest this week is urban fantasy author Stephen Blackmore. Stephen is best known for his acclaimed Eric Carter series about a necromancer in modern-day L.A. He's also written tie-in fiction for video games and TV shows, numerous short stories, and was the creative director for The Fate of Cthulhu TTRPG for Evil Hat Productions. Stephen and I talk about his infamous Twitter horoscopes, the continued success of Eric Carter and dark moments of the series, as well as the pros and cons of work for hire. Enjoy my conversation with Stephen Blackmore. So Stephen, last time we talked, which gosh, it's been forever since I've seen you. I can't, I, six, six years, more, less. Yeah, I was going to say five or six. It's been a while. Yeah, was it, uh, Phoenix, wasn't it? Um, it I want to say either Phoenix or Gen Con. Oh, probably. Yeah, we probably ran into each other at Gen Con. Because, yeah, we did. Because the author, they had that weird kind of author panel thing they were doing. They put us up on like a balcony or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Very strange. Yeah. And they had signings, but the signings were on the main floor, which is very far away. Yeah. Yeah. Hidden way in the back. and most of the time they didn't seem to actually have anybody's books. Right. It, 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 it had bugs. They needed to work a couple things out. Well, and it's always weird when you're an author at a big convention. That's not really an author convention. Yeah. Because it, it all like, you know, like the people that deal that try to take care of the author stuff generally are, you know, they're, they're volunteers. They're doing mm-hmm. the best they can. And the people that are running the actual convention don't really care about authors. No, could give a shit about it. Yeah. So you get, you kind of get what you get kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not so great. Yeah. I've, I've pretty much reached the point and, you know, with the pandemic, it's, it's made it kind of mood, but I pretty much made the point of not going to SDCC anymore. Yeah. Uh, because it's like, okay, what, what the hell's the point? (laughs) Well, and everything I've heard about San Diego is that it's just, it's chaos and it's, it's a zoo and it's for comic books. Like, well, it's not even for comic books anymore. It's for comic movies. 
So yeah, I mean, there's that's the thing is there's there's a lot of you get on the main floor and you'll see some people selling like you know uh, rare edition comics or things like that, but the rest is uh, either artists or companies that are trying to sell it's like hey we just published this comic book or you know it's like a bunch of indie stuff yeah and then you have all the biggies you get dc in there and marvel and you know various film whatever is going on and uh and it's just it's crazy right it's comparing those industries it's so weird because that even people who who are genuinely famous as authors are you know they're little people compared to like the you know the mid-tier movie stars yeah right but (laughs) in the same vein uh have you ever seen uh or or because i'm sure it's at every single con the um the aisle for old washed up sea level uh tv oh yeah people yeah 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 i mean you know it's like I hey I played some side character on this episode of the Hulk in 1979. You know? <laughs> like, There's such weird things because sometimes sometimes they're like honestly sad, like because you watch. Oh yeah, and and yeah, nobody goes to talk to the guy. And other times it's somebody that you vaguely recognize, and they have a line of like 80 people every day. Uh huh. It's it's such a bizarre ecosystem, especially from our perspective as you know, little writers, right? Yeah, I, yes, as as the little people. <laughs> so last time I saw you, I believe you had just either two or maybe the third Eric Carter book was just about to come out. I think the third, and and I I remember having a conversation with you where you were kind of like, I don't know what this. I don't know where this series is going. I don't know if my publisher wants any more from me right now. Um, you know, I'm not really sure what to do here. And now you've got, is it eight now? It is seven are out at the moment. Uh, there's also uh, my first book, which takes place in the same world, but isn't a Carter book. Yeah. And I uh, I, I try to forget that one. <laughs> but uh, uh, the eighth I mean, the seventh just came out in March. The eighth, they're putting it out in September, which is weird to me. Yeah, and that's Hate Machine, right? Um, yeah. And then uh, number nine, uh, Cult Classic, is coming out at some point because I still have to finish writing it. Man, that like is, this is the series that keeps on giving. I hope. I mean, I've got I've got ideas for like I, I keep I think of them in three book, um, not necessarily arcs, but chunks yeah so um like the first two the first six books rather is pretty much one entire arc but it's at the same time there are other arcs that finish throughout uh throughout those books and i'm kind of starting that process over with book seven so there's something that's going to happen in eight and nine that's all going to get resolved and i've got ideas for another three that kind of come out of that, but we'll see if they want them. What, so your is the ninth, the one, the last one under contract. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, dang, that's really cool that they keep picking it up. I, hey, it's worked for me. I get to, I get to pay the occasional electric bill with it. So <laughs> I, I remember, uh, I used to, 
I used to, whenever I'd talk about urban fantasy on panels, um, I would, I would say that, uh, Eric Carter is, um, is like Dresden Files if Harry Dresden had real problems. I, I remember, in fact, I remember you told me that at Phoenix and you phrased it differently. And I said, can I, can I quote you on that? And you said, no. <laughs> I, if I phrased it differently. <laughs> and I'm sure you remember how you phrased that. It was probably less kind to Dresden Files. It, it was. That I really like. And so I, yeah. I realized I probably shouldn't say it anymore. Yeah. Also, also, if, if I ended up being on a, a panel with a Butcher that, I think that weekend, I think it was Phoenix. Yeah. And I was thinking, wow, I'm, I'm glad that it didn't go there because that would be awkward because I don't know this guy and he seems cool. And I like his books. Uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's keep it simple. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's really cool. Do you, um, cause you pretty much at this point, you've got a, a long running urban fantasy series and you've got, you've done some tie in work. You've done some, mm-hmm. uh, you've done short stories. Uh, and you've also recently, uh, I'm pretty sure this was recent anyways, the, you did, we were, you were the creative director for a tabletop RPG game. Oh yeah. For, um, uh, for fate of Cthulhu. Yeah. That was, I think it came out a couple of years ago, but yeah, it, uh, before then, I was writing. Evil Hat has a uh, a game called Spirit of the Century, which is 1930s pulp, and they kind of expanded that. And I ended up writing a book for them, mm-hmm. um, which was a blast because it was just so over the top ridiculous. It's called Con of Mars, which was somewhere between Flash Gordon and uh, the Princess of Mars books, only. Flash Gordon is an 800-pound gorilla who's a genius and gets transported to Mars along with a cowboy sidekick, and it was great. Yeah. I just, I just was, I was like, I, you know what? That that doesn't sound like it would. Fuck it, let's go in the book. <laughs> uh, no, and and it it actually turned out really well. But um, I ended up being a writer on their uh, game Shadow of the Century, which was an extension spirit of the century but set in the 1980s so we grabbed all these 80s tropes and i ended up writing a big chunk of the fiction not not all of it uh and it was it was fun and and it was (laughs) what's funny for me is we start doing this thing we start having a conversation and like a week later this is we've just started a week later i send them like 15 pages of stuff like how about this like uh maybe we should just hang on to that um but that one was fun and uh then they contacted me a while later about doing fate of cthulhu Mm -hmm. which the the pitch they because they pitched it to me saying hey we'd like you to do this was uh terminator if skynet were cthulhu (laughs) so uh so the idea is one of the great old ones has shown up, has wiped out most of humanity. You're the last ditch effort, and you have discovered how to use eldritch technology to go back in time. So you go back like 30 years when everything started to fall apart, and you know that there are like four different events that you have to do something about, but your all of your historical records are incomplete. You don't know if they're even true. Yeah. And and try to actually, you know, save the future. 
And I, I, I'm not sure anybody has ever saved the future because we made it really goddamn hard. I mean, because it's still Cthulhu. <laughs> I mean, it's action horror, but, you know, yeah. and there were a lot of really good things about that. I'm, I'm actually really happy with how it turned out. What was the experience like kind of working on games versus working on your novels? Um, well, there's a collaboration, first off. And, and that, that's a thing that calling me the creative director of that was, I think, more, let's call him that so that he feels better about, you know, the fact that we're going to have him on here, uh, because it is a very collaborative effort. And uh, we had some fantastic uh, designers, and we had a lot of back and forth, and just we were constantly talking and figuring out how, what about this rule? How would you do that, that thing? And and I'm not a rules guy. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, I'm in these meetings and going, okay. And you do, is this, is that how you do this? Uh, to this day, I have played, because this is Fate System. I've played two games of Fate. Mm-hmm. That's it. And <laughs> so I can't, I can't even remember half of how that thing works. It's like, okay, well, you've got aspects and this one does that. And, you know, and it all falls apart. But um, the collaboration was fantastic. And we had, we found ourselves kind of getting in the weeds at one point. And it was just because we were originally going to do um, a bunch of Elder Gods showed up and wiped out the earth. And we had all these different things. And, and it was just like, this is too big. This is too complicated. There's no way we can even keep track of it. And, you know, we, we had somebody uh from you know from outside the group uh part of the company come in and look at it and say you know what you can solve this entire problem by just making it one and so and once we had that everything clicked because we could have stories that were based upon that particular entity and what we could do with it and i i i really enjoyed that part of it because you know, there, I mean, there's there's everything with the rules and all that. It was just fantastic. They did a great job. For me, writing up the scenarios, because there are four events for each entity that shows up. So how do you make those unique? Yeah. Okay. It's not like, oh, Cthulhu shows up and everybody dies. You know, it's how do you, how do you make it a little more interesting? And that was a lot of fun. Oh, that's cool. I It's funny because I, the longer I'm, I'm kind of in this profession, the more I realize that when I start a new project, I, I'm always overcomplicating it. Oh yeah. I'm always starting with these massive ideas and, and you know, that's kind of what I'm supposed to do because I write epic fantasy, but like uh, my revision process tends to be me telling myself, okay, you stop going. So yeah. <laughs> try to pull back a little put, bit, put the brakes on a little bit. Right. Exactly. Like just try to try to try to zero in on some, uh, some specific things and, you know, maybe sacrifice some of that, some of those big ideas to the, uh, to being a little more succinct and keeping track of things better. Yeah. I, uh, I actually have the opposite problem, not completely opposite, but, but close enough because what I'm and how I'm focusing is on it is that it's a noir story mm-hmm. for the Eric Carter books that happens to have magic in it. And so, you know, I mean, cause you have, you have there are a lot of urban fantasy books out there where you'll have sort of uh, uh, increased or decreased of, of one of these urban or fantasy. Sometimes you can get a good balance 
but there are there are a lot that are heavy fantasy, little bit urban. I, I personally, I think Dresden Files kind of falls into that. You know, yeah, I think from what I understand, because I've only I think I've read the first five. It starts more and gets very fantasy. Oh, okay, yeah, it, it gets it gets more, and um, I'm really focused more on this particular problem with this particular character. Yeah. And if big things are going on that maybe he's involved with, uh, they're not, they're not necessarily, um, Oh, he's the guy who's going to save the day. Chances are he's the guy who's going to fuck it all up. <laughs> I mean, that they're most of the series is based on mistakes he's made. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I guess more urban than necessarily fantasy, but so for me, I will come up with a, how to put it, Certain, not even an overarching plot, but it'll be the book's going to be this, this thing, this one little thing. And now I have to grow it out and expand it. And, you know, uh, one, one thing I, I write short books, um, because I, uh, I, I personally think noir books need to be short because they can get really depressing. And, uh, I've been I've been on some uh, crime fiction panels where we've had long discussions about noir and how how weird a genre it actually is. Um, but some authors can take that and just run with it, and it just goes and goes, and goes and goes, and it works. And then I'm focusing on a lot of action, so I've I want to keep the pace up which means I don't want to stretch out the book. Yeah. So I, I find myself having, you know, I'll do a draft and I'm going and I'm making a few cuts, but I'm usually adding a lot more. What, uh, what's the word count roughly of your books? Um, usually right now it's, it's between, it's been, they've been getting bigger. Uh, <laughs> as they often do. As they often do. 75 to 90 K. Okay. Yeah. Like the first book is, you know, dead things is really short. And the one before that city of the lost is like, that's that's the one you know the first one I I got published that one's only sixty k and uh, now uh, the one that I just did copy edits on for Hate Machine sent them in uh, last night uh, that one's about ninety yeah so they are they are creeping up a little bit well and that I, that seems to happen for any author that works in long series um, and, you know we we talk a lot on this podcast about epic fantasy because I've I'm an epic fantasy author and I've had a lot of them on, but, but it, it seems to be not necessarily a genre thing. It's well, I I think maybe the more time we spend in a world, the more we are able to, and want to flesh out things. Well, I, I think that yes, but also at the same time, and and every time I run into this, there are more things that I need to refer to from the back, from the past in order to actually tell this story. So you know, it's like, okay, well, I only need to talk about this thing. Oh, now now I need to talk about this one and this other one. Now, eventually, I have to talk about these 15 things so that anybody will actually know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. All right. So, it kind of expand there and just kind of whittle it down. But, yeah, I think they I think they do because there are there are new things that you want to, that you, you think about and go, huh, well, if this is the case, then wouldn't this be this way or that be that way? And and sometimes it's also just uh, like extrapolation. Like I've been, I've been avoiding a few uh, particular plot complications that I set up previously because I want to make sure that I resolve them 
real in a, in a satisfying way. Yeah. And you know, so right now it's, it's sort of like hand waving. Everybody knows about it. We're still talking about it, but nothing's actually happened with it. And then I'm, I'm hoping in a future book that I can, I can actually deal with that and the fallout from that. A perfect example uh, in uh, fire season, I, burned down most of los angeles okay and yeah so what does that mean what does that do you know i mean you're going to have people are going to be either be dead or leave or you know all it just finances uh freeways whatever they're going to have all these problems for several years but also for carter he's a necromancer he deals with ghosts hundred thousand people die in one night He's going to be seeing a lot more ghosts. Right. It suddenly gets a bit noisier. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And that that was actually, I was able to take that that extrapolation and go, oh, well, if that's the case, then I could do this and this. And the next book dealt with the fact that, yeah, there are a fuck ton of ghosts now in this very concentrated area. So that I like doing that because it, it's fun just to see what I can get away with. Yeah. Oh, what was I was uh, I was on a Butcher was on this one. Uh, Rothfuss, Sam was a couple other people about magic systems. And I've got Rothfuss on one side of me who's talking about how magic should be this numinous sort of, you know, and, and just great detail and fantastic, you know, just all that. And then it comes to me and say, I just make shit up. <laughs> yeah. I don't want it to be complicated because I'm going to, I don't want to paint myself into too much of a corner. Um, so it was, it was it was an interesting uh, uh, spread of philosophies there. That's definitely a like that's a thing you know among epic fantasy writers is yeah exactly the, this idea that you know you can you can kind of go the Tolkien way, which is magic is very kind of uh, maybe a little wishy washy and you're not a hundred percent sure what it can do at any time. Um, versus the you know the Sanderson, which is everything is codified mm-hmm. and very strict, and I think it's. I think a lot of it comes down to personality type of the author because like I I find that the more kind of wishy-washy my magic system is um you know if, if it's more magic and less system then then I find that actually more stressful because then it's more to keep track of and more to try to remember what have I done in the past can the character mm-hmm. still do that and and uh, I, I find that really interesting because I I feel like in like your universe in the Eric Carter universe it tends to be more that there's this confluence of so many different you know religions and traditions and magics uh-huh. that nobody in the universe really knows a hundred percent what el- anybody else can do yeah and I find that kind of chaos I th- I think you feed on that kind of chaos. With your it, it, I, I, I've essentially set up like there's like three rules and they're loose rules and doing that. And then, and I made the decision early on for good or ill that if there is a story, if there is a monster or, or something in mythology or whatever, gods, you know, mythic beasts, whatever, everything exists may never run into it. But there, everything is there. So that's and that's one of the things Carter runs into, uh, where he starts dealing with Aztec gods, and then you kind of have to look at that and go, well, then what other gods are there? You know, and you just kind of look out at that point. And I, and I was able to kind of build up uh, from there that in, in a, a way that I 
that I like and also maintains that chaotic mystery. Like, well, where does the show go when you die? No idea. Maybe it's going to go here. Maybe it's going to go there. How, how the fuck should I know? And, and that's, and that's been fun to play with. Right. And I think especially fun because he has a necromancer and you know, so you have to have, so you have somebody who is a professional at this, you know, theoretically, but even he doesn't really know that much. Yeah. And he learns and he learns more. And every time he learns something, it raises more questions. Yeah. Which is you know, sometimes very reflective of real life. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Page Break listeners. Brian here to let you know that my next epic fantasy, In the Shadow of Lightning, is now up for pre-order from Tor Books. Glass Immortals is a whole new universe that introduces you to assassinations, intrigue, industrial magic, harrowing battles, heartbreaking disasters, and more for new readers and old. The book is out in the U.S. on June 21st and can be pre-ordered from Amazon, Audible, Barnes & Noble, or get a signed copy straight from my website. Remember, pre-orders matter massively to a new book, so make sure you get that done. Thank you all so much for the support. Now enjoy the rest of the podcast. Now, I, um, I, I've noticed that there's... There is not a lot about your personal life online. Is that on purpose? I don't know. I haven't actively like tried to suppress anything. Um, well, I mean, there there was a guy in Reno that I shot to, you know, I don't like to talk about that one too much. Um, no, not, not really. I, I think it's mostly that I just, I don't really talk about it. Yeah. There are some things that I've, I've definitely been very open and public about mostly because I, I've felt a, uh, responsibility, I guess, obligation, dealing with mental health issues, depression, mm-hmm. you know, bipolar, just bunch. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm willing to, to talk about things, but I just don't. Well, cause I, you know, cause you, know, when you, when you look around at kind of people's online fingerprints, you know, some mm-hmm. people, everything is on there. Like mm-hmm. just any detail of their life. They love, they love to throw it online. That's just how it is. And other people, it's just, you know, maybe incidentals here and there that are mentioned. Um, but I, I was curious, um, cause you, you still have a day job, right? Uh, not anymore. You don't really. Yeah. Not, not necessarily by choice. Oh yeah. That was, that was actually, uh, uh, 2018 and I, I got laid off and, did a gig for the same company for like six months. It was a mm-hmm. nightmare and that contract ended. And then it was, you know, the, the pandemic was just hitting and brutal. It was, it was brutal. So, tr- and trying to find a job at that point was a challenge. So I've done a lot of interviews, but I haven't gotten any past that. So yeah, at the moment I'm just, I'm just writing and, and, I've been doing freelance stuff. Uh, I had, um, and we'll see if it goes anywhere uh, again. Um, I was working for a game company for one of their future titles, and some stuff happened, and and they ended up having to uh, put the whole thing on hold until like next spring. It's like, okay, well, it was fun while it lasted, um, and that was. That was like a month ago, month and a half ago, something like that, that that happened. So there's been, there's been some ups and downs and, 
you know, so right now everything I'm doing is is based in writing, whether it's a book or, you know, articles or working on game stuff. Now, when you how did you find the transition, you know, like you said, kind of unwilling transition to being a full time author? Um, did you was that was it freeing in some ways? Was it just just straight stressful? I'd say it was freeing in that I hated the day job. <laughs> like with a passion and I had been there for years. And so when they said, you know, Hey, I'm really sorry. We're going to have to let you go. I almost danced out, you know, and what I'm, what I had trouble with and I'm still having trouble with isn't actually the writing. Sometimes it is because of distraction. And I mean, there's honestly, it's sometimes more distracting to work from home than it is necessarily, you know, in an office somewhere like the, the dog is, like, I, I need to go out or this needs to happen or somebody showed up at the door, and, you know. But what's really, what I'm really having trouble with is becoming a freelancer. Yeah. Because there's a whole mentality there of how to do things. And my entire working life, I'd been pulling a paycheck. Very, very different, you know. And it's it's coming together. You know, I'm doing, I'm doing some stuff. Uh, I'm getting... You know, a few things that have been popping up, and I think those are expanding out into other things as they are hopefully want to do. But it's still frustrating, you know, of that constantly helping to get work. Yeah. And <laughs> and this is L.A., okay? So, you know, play me the tiniest fucking violin compared to, you know, writers out here where it's like, did you get picked up for a show? Mm, no. <laughs> like oh so ramen this season is what you're saying <laughs> and yeah so it's just it's weird and and it's not like i am i'm also i don't want to say necessarily limited i don't have I, a, a lot of my experiences with pros jobs out here scripts yeah you know television scripts screenplays things like that and it's a there are a lot of things about that that are more specialized than I think people realize and not just, not just, you know, format of a script, which is very different. I ended up taking a, uh, uh, class at UCLA on, uh, television pilots and the guy who was teaching it has been in the industry for like 30 years and he'd been on a lot of different shows and he was actually working on, I think he was working on Titans during, during the, the class and he and I were talking and he was, he's like my age. All right. So it's, it's not like, Oh yeah, there's this young kid who I'm walking to. It's like, thank God. No, um, I'm, I'm depressed being in here enough as it is. <laughs> and he's talking about agents and managers and, and I was like, okay, can you explain this to me? How does that even work? He's like, Oh, well, you know, agent does this managers like, okay, stop literary agents. Don't do any of that shit. Yeah. They do this thing. And he's like, Really? How do you do it? It's like it, it, different worlds, man. <laughs> it is. It is totally different worlds. It, it, it's a and it's a bizarre thing to understand um, because you get you get a, a reasonable amount of public crossover between you know like novelists and um, you know maybe a novelist will you know like adapt their work for something or or a novelist will be brought into a writer's room things like that and so you you do see that but it is it's two different skill sets. Yeah. It, it, it definitely is just like, okay, well, how do you handle pacing in 
a 22 page script. Yeah. You know, one of the other conversations I had with him is like in a novel, I got lots of room. I can get, I can kind of slowly get into the story over three chapters or more if I want. He says, yeah, I got like five seconds to hook you and get you into the story. And we did, we, we watched a few episodes. I forget of what, but basically every time there was a transition, we stopped it. Okay. How long was that one? Like 30 seconds. Okay. You've, we've established, we've established the entire episode right here in this tiny amount of time. And that's all you get. So yeah, it's very much a different skill set. And I've always been impressed with anybody who I guess can, can internalize not only three act structure, but also the limitations that they are forced to deal with in writing like that. And, And that's one of the things that, that I find that I, I'm interested in is, well, I don't know how to write television. I want to know how to write television because I don't know. Um, and of course, you know, it would be nice to actually be able to get a paycheck doing something like that because WGA rates are, are, are pretty sweet, uh, at least at least compared. Yeah, those, those paychecks, if you can get them, are pretty big. If you can get them, yes, if you can get them, at least compared to, uh, especially compared to novels. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's it's funny because you also have to deal with the thing that that um, you know we were talking a little bit earlier about the work for hire that you've done, uh-huh. um, you know the tie-in stuff. But you know when you go into writing scripts for you know any sort of visual medium, that's always going to be work for hire. Oh yeah, that is always going to be. Um, you aren't in charge of that thing. No, you're you know you're the grunt churning it out and somebody else may come and rewrite it. They may, and and you, you touched on this earlier with the the project you referenced. Um, When it comes to work for hire, there's a chance, a reasonably good chance that no one will ever see the thing that you wrote. Even if you got paid a lot for it. (sighs) Yes. It might never come out. I've seen that. I've had that. I did. uh, uh, There's a game from like 30 years ago, uh, Bard's Tale. Uh, in Exiles, a company that does, I think it was like Broderbund back then or something. So it's, you know, and they decided to, the company sort of came back and were revisiting their old properties, and that was one of them. And so they were going to do a new Bard's Tale, and they wanted somebody to write up uh, novellas, basically a, a full novel is what they're looking at, of the first three games that came out 30 years ago. And I, did my best. There were there were some interesting challenges there, and, and uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what ended up happening was I had started by before I even took it. I said, "Okay, here's what I'm thinking. It's going to be here are the characters. Here is the tone. This is the kind of thing I'm going to be talking about. I am not going to be making. You know, this is not Tolkien." I'm not doing Tolkien, right? If anything, I'm doing Rat Queens. And it's like, oh yeah, that's great. Fantastic. And between the time I did that and the time that I uh, turned the whole thing in, everything had shifted. But I, I because of what I was doing and, and totally understandable, I really didn't have that information. And uh, they're in the middle of development on this game. So though I'm sending them updates and sending them like, okay, here's the first one. Let me know what you think. You know, I'm getting 
I'm, I'm not getting any feedback because they simply don't have time. Yeah. So I send them the, the last one. A friend of mine uh, uh, works there or worked there at least at the time. And he, uh, they call him in the office and say, uh, we, we don't know what to do with this because now they wanted the, the shift had been in tone of, okay, yeah, we're going to do Tolkien elves. And mine obviously was not. And he was looking at it. And so he read through them all and he knew the games and he went back to them and said, well, he did exactly what you told him to do. Write the games as prose, as stories. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I've written Bard's Tale, you know, but it's not out there because then I'm also being picked up by somebody else. Cause like, we really want to do this, but we can't do anything with this. It's totally understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a little bit frustrating just because, okay, well, I was actually kind of proud of that, you know, cause I, I, I mean, when I'm writing something, I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to just phone it in. At least I try not to. And uh, I liked the characters that I'd written, the scenarios and all that, even though it was matching the games um, and nobody will see it. Yeah. Which is, you know, and that's fine. That's the business. That's how it works. Well, and we, we talk about that quite a lot on the podcast, this, the, the meeting of business and creativity. Mm. And that is one of those aspects when you do any work for hire is that, that there's that risk of something that you grew to love yeah. of, of being changed or being completely axed. And, and even if you do get a really good paycheck out of it, there's this kind of an emotional aspect, uh, a creatively emotional aspect of you going, well, wait, I thought I was doing this for people to see. Yeah. And well, the funny thing is, and this is, this is, I think, tie-ins in general, but particularly tie-ins related to video games. Nobody reads them. Yeah. You know, and, and the fandoms like supernatural novelists, the novels and the fans of supernatural, they don't necessarily cross over. So a lot of the fans don't know that the novels even exist. See, that, that's interesting. Cause I, I've kind of always assumed, um, and I've never really asked. I've always assumed that when you have a very big property mm-hmm. you know, uh, that they, that the novels will always do decently well because, Mm-mm. because you have such a mass of fans and, and they keep doing them. They keep doing the novels and those people have access to numbers. So I kind of always just made the assumption that they at least do halfway decently. Uh, they do. Well, what, what I have seen happen and, and I've experienced a little bit of it is this property is basically they, they've sold the rights to this publisher and the publisher because it is going to make them some money. It's going to make them a profit, and they know that. I mean, it, they'll sell they'll sell well enough, yeah. Particularly for the amount that they are paying, and you know, so they'll do this and they'll churn it out and they'll get it out there, but they won't tell anybody. So if you don't know the stuff's out there, you don't even know that they exist. And it's not like they're going to bump into it in a bookstore because we don't really have bookstores anymore. You know, I, I think one of the 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 two big exceptions. Uh, Star Wars and Star Trek. Yeah. You know, and partly because at least with Star Wars, they throw the PR machine into overdrive for those things. Well, and, and Star Wars has had kind of, they've built that history of having yeah. books in their universe. Right. They've got a large fan base 
even though they've managed to piss off a lot of them by making changes. Well, and and it's a uh, and there's also a weird thing on the back end with those books, from what I understand, um, is that it used to be that if you were writing a Star Wars tie-in, you were making some really good money. I'd, I'd heard that, yeah. And and nowadays, uh, again, this is from what I understand, it's it's not much anymore because mm-hmm. because anyone will write a Star Wars novel because it's so big yeah and and so nowadays it's you know it's more like a few tens of thousands of dollars for a star wars novel and you have to write it in a month (laughs) which is crazy oh yeah well that's one of the other things i mean sometimes that's in the contract yeah if you miss your deadline you give us back all the money yeah and uh i got a couple friends of that that's almost exclusively what they've done over the last several years. And they've like, yeah, you, you fuck that up and it's, it's bad. It's, it is a weird kind of way that the industry has changed because you know, there's a, there's a lot of ways to talk about kind of publishing as an industry and, and the rise of self publishing and, and kind of the prolification of uh, pro- proliferation of, um, you know, like big websites online, the fandom websites where lots of writing is done and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it's, it, there is, there is such a huge glut of authors of people who either have pro credits, mm-hmm. um, or are decent enough authors that can break in with, you mm-hmm. know, like with, with just, you know, some samples, things like that, that, you know, they don't, the tie in doesn't have to pay much anymore. No. No, and and also it, consider also what things were getting tie-ins. Okay, uh, oh god, I think it's called Prescription Murder, which was this Dick Van Dyke TV show. Okay, where he's a doctor and he solves murders. There is a huge number of books on that character, huh. and that's the that's the same for a lot of them, and some of it. Like I was saying, the, the fandoms don't necessarily cross over. Those kinds of books, the people mostly reading them are uh, just mystery junkies. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're mystery junkies that have a thing for Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, I've heard, I've heard some interesting stories. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And and when we kind of leave the the fantasy genre that you and I both write in, mm-hmm. 
um, when you kind of jump into these other genres, they some of these genres make our make the biggest fantasy sales numbers look like peanuts. Oh God, yeah, romance, and and it's and and because they tend to be kind of mass produced, you know, like like you, like you mentioned, mystery junkies. You know, they they don't mind dropping yeah. six dollars at the end of the evening for a new mystery novel you know, three times a week. Oh God. Yeah. And, and, and there's, it's a different type of readership. It's very strange. Yeah. And romance is, is like that a lot of ways. It's, isn't it the largest genre by far? It is. It is. And I love just, just in case anybody is listening actually to this and you are a romance reader. I love you. I love romance readers because a lot of people reading romance will branch out into all these other things. And honestly, I think it's one of the hardest genres to write in because all of your conflicts are character. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like, well, I got, I got a, you know, a guy with a gun walks in. It's like, okay, yeah, now you can't really do that unless, oh, well, now we're going to have an actual conversation here. It's like, oh shit, I have to, I have to turn this from, you know, shooting bullets to talking about, you know, the future. And I, I've, I don't read a lot of romance, but I'm always struck by the the deftness, I guess, of playing around with character conflicts because I have so much trouble with that. Yeah. You know, I'm 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 in the same spot. Like I my my conflict tends to be very action oriented. Mm-hmm. And and when I try to slow down and work on character conflict, um it, it's it's harder to me, much harder to write. Yeah. <laughs> It's easy to write straight action because the stakes are clear. What is happening? Everybody's, you know, their motivation, even if, even if it's down to, you know, like a 10 second motivation, he's trying to kill you so that, so it's very crystallized there, but then you get into, you have to start looking, you know, into those kinds of character conflicts. You have to pay attention to, okay, well, this is happening with this person. This is happening with this person. This is happening with this over here. And that, you know, and all of these tie into this one conversation that they're having. And it's, I, I, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you said deafness and I think deftness is a, is a good word for that because it's, because being able to explain all of that to the reader, mm-hmm. the, the very complicated uh, character, you know, character relationships and feelings and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and do it in in novels that are traditionally quite short. Yeah, um, man, that that is a skill that I am very impressed by. Yeah, um, it's it's funny because the other the other genre on the complete other end of the spectrum in terms of sales too that I've noticed that that comes up a lot is specifically war novels, not just crime novels, but war. And because those tend to be so short and you are, you're playing with a lot of um, character conflicts in that as well, because you've got, oh God, how do they put it? War, paradoxically, is one of the most optimistic genres around. And, okay. And I I looked at the guy who told me that, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like, think about it. You have, you have a situation where this character is doomed. Mm-hmm. You know he's doomed. Everything he's doing is just getting him further and further and further into the hole. What? But what does he do? He does not give up. 
there's always the you know this this thing over here is um that's the last thing I got to do. And you go to do that and that falls apart. Yeah, well, you know what? I still got this other thing over here and, and that falls apart. But they just keep going until, you know, everything just unravels around them completely. And uh, it, it got me thinking about that a lot and looking at it going, yeah, you're you're right. Because even even uh, like there are there are revenge noir novels mm-hmm. and you've got a character who is, you know, going down their list and killing everybody and things are falling apart for them. But you know what? I'm still going to kill all the people I'm planning on killing. I am going to get to the end of this fucking list. So yeah, there, there are, it's weird because the whole dark moment thing that you get as, you know, in, in a plot where the dark moment actually sits in a noir novel is a little hazy because sometimes there are a lot of them. Well, and I was going to ask you about that because because you tend to deal with some pretty dark subject matter mm-hmm. in the Eric Carter books. Like, like, is it like the, the very first thing your character does in the very first book is if I'm remembering right, is rewatch the murder of his sister. It's, it's, it's a, it's like a couple chapters in. Yeah. As he's been, he's been away for 15 years. Here's his sister's been murdered, goes, back to LA and a friend was like, we can't, we can't find anything out. I mean, what do we do? It's like, you know what? Fuck you people. Shut up, sit down. I'm going to go ask her myself. Right. And uh, instead he runs into a situation where it's really more of, it's called an echo and it's just a recording. So he's watching this murder of his sister and it's gruesome intentionally and for him to see it. Cause there, there are some things that happen at the end where he realizes that the whole thing was put on for his benefit mm-hmm. and he watches it over and over and over. Cause he's looking for any single possible detail that he can miss. So yeah, it's kind of, it, it gets, I like hanging. I like that dark direction. Uh, well, I, I tend to write dark anyway, Yeah, but also for Carter, he, it, uh, how to put it? I, I've kind of built him in, in a way where he doesn't know how to do anything else. And so I kind of I kind of have have set things up so that I have to deal with dark subject matter because that's his world. And uh, in the last couple books, like uh, two three books, um, his biggest challenges have been the fact that he's maybe starting a relationship with somebody, and it's like that he doesn't know what to do with that. I mean, his last heavy relationship was actually to a death goddess. So he doesn't have a really good model, you know, to, to go off of. And that's it's like, okay, wait a minute. There's a possibility for happiness. I'm not sure. How, how does that work exactly? <laughs> so, yeah, it's, but yeah, the way I've built him, it's, it's going to be a dark world. Do you, do you find that that darkness uh, affects your mental health at all when you're re- writing it? Or do you, because the Eric Carter no- novels are, are quite, funny as well quite darkly funny do yeah. you feel like having that undercurrent of dark comedy is that almost like a shield to kind of to help you, you as a re- writer and as the reader too kind of get through the darkness um wow that's interesting uh actually i think i've just got a sick sense of humor <laughs> i mean seriously yes. i i do have a sick sense of humor because there's some things that 
like he'll make a joke on something and it'll be, oh yeah, you've said that before. Initially, a first couple books, I think it did. And, and I don't know how much it affected, you know, my mental health directly uh, because I was dealing with a bunch of other things as well. So if, if it did, it was like throwing bricks into the Grand Canyon. And now I'm not as troubled by it. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the, I, the, the shooting in Texas, you know, the, the, the school, I saw that and got, I, I am enraged. I am what the hell. And I couldn't feel, I felt like I couldn't express it, but Carter could. And I ended up writing a, I don't know, it just kind of came out, uh, writing a short story where he deals with that kind of situation. And that's one of the few times that it's actually been kind of cathartic for me to write something, but it is dark because it's the same kind of situation. And he's dealing just the, the, what he's dealing with in going into that kind of situation and seeing the ghosts of these people who have been murdered and, and and all that. And there are other dynamics in there. Um, but it is, uh, it is really dark. It's one of the darkest things I, I think I've written in a long time. And in that case, it was, it was good for me to write that. Like Carter was my, uh, my anger translator. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, well, and I've, I've talked sometimes with authors about this before. And I, and I don't think it's something that's a constant in most authors lives um, or their careers. But I, I think that, that it is, it happens that there are times we write things, especially when we write things that are darker or, or, um, you know, kind of, or maybe even taboo subject matters, things like that, that, that it is us trying to figure out what we think about mm-hmm. that subject or, or a subject that's related in some ways that we, we dance around um, in the text. And, uh, and it is, I think it's a little bit odd, but very human that we occasionally use our job as a therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, think about it. Our, our job is to express and that's that's a good point about well how do you really feel about this yeah this this thing that you're tackling and i know i've run into that from time to time but it's mostly been okay well what would this character think of this and then and then it's less how do i feel about it and more how what are the different perspectives for this thing that they're dealing with because everybody's looking at it differently. Yeah. And that kind of helps because then it's, it's okay. Well, I'm not just saying, Oh yeah, this is bad. It's like, this is bad, but you know, looked at from this point of view, it's actually not that bad. And over here, this is a great thing for this person. Um, So I, I think it helps solidify some things for me, not very often, but, um, but it does. And, and when it does, uh, I think it, I think it shows mm-hmm. in the book there the one of the things that I I and I I don't know any authors that don't do this really strive for is truth uh which is not the same as honesty you know that that whole thing oh something's fiction it's like well, guys sometimes fiction is truth even if it's not facts even if it never happened but it is truth and I I think we all want to do justice to that kind of thing and, but we all have a different way of looking at it. 
you know yeah so it just there there are different subjects that everybody's got a completely different worldview on and that's going to influence your reader okay he thinks this is a taboo subject and i'm writing about it. i was like oh, i gotta put the book down okay somebody else is like oh oh i hadn't thought about it that way you know and somebody else is just that this is great and just keeps turning pages so yeah the the whole uh using our job as you know, as therapy, I, I think, I think a lot of writers do that. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, and I mean, uh, people have written way more about this than you or I could express, but I, I really like, I like the idea of being able to examine real world situations mm-hmm. with the serial numbers filed off. Um, so that you're kind of detaching yourself from the real world feelings. Yes. Um, and, and able to examine something in a little bit more of a, um, sometimes, I mean, it's, it's never truly objective, but maybe in a little bit more of an objective way. I I don't know. It's, it is a fun, it's a fun and sometimes maybe even heartbreaking part of what we do for a living. Yeah. Having that, having that detachment, the people, the, the authors who can really do that, I think can put it can belt out a lot of word count really easily. Yeah. And at the same time, there are things where it's like, I, I got to go sit down for a little while and, you know, in a blanket fort after writing this thing. And I've, I've had a few of those. It's like, wow, this is great. And God damn, that's depressing. Right. <laughs> um, now I, I wanted to mention uh, before we finish up um, the thing that I am sure you are sick of talking about your horoscopes <laughs> because i saw that you tweeted very recently yes um you were tweeting re- very recently about this this funny thing that you do which for people that aren't familiar um you will write these kind of comedic horoscopes for be- how how many how often do you do it right now i'm trying to do it once a week okay um uh, i've had to do some I've had to do a lot of recycling over the years because I've been doing this since like, wow, 2012, 2010, something like that. Since before I've known you. And and I've got a master file of these things and I've got hundreds of them. Right. So you you do these these horoscopes on a weekly basis and and you were you were tweeting just kind of this kind of idea of being known for this funny yes. dumb thing that you do for your own enjoyment mm-hmm. on Twitter more than for your books. And that has got to be frustrating and weird. Yeah, I was it was it was weird more than frustrating because I was at uh they were holding the nebulas in LA a few years ago and I'm at the table with with a couple of people from uh, Penguin, and we're just kind of going around, and 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 you know, and one says, you know, who who are you, basically, and I give them my name, and it goes on, and then somebody else hears that and goes, oh, you're the horoscope guy, and then everybody at the table went, oh, you're that guy, <laughs> um, to the point where even uh, afterward, some people who'd been sitting nearby came up to me and said, I love those things. They're great. It's like, fantastic. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and one of the people at the table asked, so how do you monetize that? I, I, I don't. I, I don't. I honestly don't know how. 
there are a few ideas and my agent is actually pursuing a couple of things. We'll see how those turn out. But yeah, having that being known for a stupid, silly, you know, thing that I just do, but not, but, but yeah, no, it's like, okay, well, who the hell's reading my books? You know? Right. Does it put a weird pressure on you knowing that it is a thing that doesn't make you money, but that people recognize you for does it make you does it does it have that paradoxical thing where it it puts a level of pressure on you that you suddenly don't enjoy it anymore um i did for a while just because i i was i was burnt out and you know but uh for the most part no it's i don't really feel any pressure from anybody if i don't do it nobody's like on me going hey where's where's my fucking score horoscope it's like dude you realize this is not real right yeah nobody really nobody really cares <laughs> you know they read them they like them they're fun but if i stop doing them nobody would you know really it's like, they're like oh yeah you're not doing it well that's too bad and then they go on with their day it's 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 such an interesting and weird kind of creative place to be in because i've i've gotten to the point with this podcast where if I don't put an episode out on a week, on a Tuesday, I will get five or six tweets, maybe even an email from people saying, hey, where's the new episode? And and there's part of my brain that's like, oh, that's so cool that they care. But there's another part of my brain that's like, man, I'm still paying money to make this podcast. Yes. Um, yes. So if I don't, if I decide I'm not putting one out this week, I, I don't care. I will have, I will have saved $80. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so it's like a, it's such a weird, it is a weird aspect of, of doing something that's, you know, semi-serialized, that's not really benefiting you terribly. You know, I, I was, I was thinking about that, my horoscopes, your podcast, um, we're both doing these things because we want to. Mm -hmm. And I think the ones that are making money are designed from the beginning to make money where somebody said i'm gonna do this thing and yeah sure i like it but the goal here is to make money yeah and so there's advertising and you know marketing and all this other stuff that they put into it um whereas like me it's like fuck well i don't want to do that (laughs) well and that's that's a that's a different skill set and it requires yes it requires that skill set and it requires the planning and and it's like, cause I thought about that a lot when I first started this podcast and I, you know, I did set up a Patreon and I did try to try to make it so it's possible for people to throw me a couple of bucks. But, but it's also like, I had to make the conscious decision of, okay, this is something I want to do for fun. And then, you know, if I decide to stop doing it because it's no longer fun, I don't owe anybody anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, there's, there's different mental spaces you have to be in for different things. And I, I think a lot of those, I think most of those things that are like the serialized online content mm-hmm. that, that just begins because in a monetized fashion, those often, those don't succeed very often. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it's the same as starting any business, right? They, yeah. There's not a great success rate. I'm not sure how much there, um, how much of a success rate there is in any of these things online. You know, people who are TikTok, you know, influencers, and it's like, how much are they making? Twenty thousand dollars a month for what? Because because he's got a cute dog. You know, 
it's hard, I think, to really plan for success. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to plan for failure. And, <laughs> you know, plan, plan for failure, set things up so that hopefully there will be success. Don't set, your set yourself up to fail. But you, I think you need to plan with the idea that everything's going to fall apart at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a it is a weird kind of place because we're in this, we live in this world now where content like is King, right? Putting out things constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, you and I make our, our living from the old version of Mm -hmm. creating a thing over a long period of time and putting it out once every so often. And it's, 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 it's strange to look at the differences between between basically what are the same, which is content creation Mm -hmm. um, for the entertainment of others, Mm -hmm. but how different they interact with the world that is consuming that content. Yeah. I've been, and I'm way behind for various reasons, but uh, I have a Patreon and uh, for one tier, I've been writing a, a space opera and just bits and pieces throwing it up there. Mm -hmm. And, it's a lot of it's kind of petered out. And part of that is that serialized way of looking at things because I write, I'll write a, you know, for, and for you, I'm sure this is like ridiculously small. My chapters are like 10 pages. Okay. Uh, Online. That's huge. Nobody's going to read that much. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well I got to break it down into tiny little chunks so that they can go through this and it still has enough story behind it to keep you engaged and make you want to go into the next one. Mm-hmm. And there, there are some people who can do serialized content and they're just great at it. And I struggle with it. I, I look I look at uh, like Hammett and the Maltese Falcon, which was serialized first. And sometimes I'll, I'll go back and I'll read it and I'll feel much better because it's like, wow, whole chapters of this thing are just fucking garbage. <laughs> That's good. It gives me like it gives me permission to not have it be perfect. There's there are some scenes where you're you're reading, and it's like, you needed to fill up column space. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's the old like Mark Twain thing, right? Of, of this chapter was clearly an off week. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's so funny how those things evolve and change. Um, but I've kept you for quite a long time. Uh, so let's, Oh, it's been fun. Let's, let's wrap up. I always like to end these podcasts by asking a left field question. Okay. Which is, uh, what's the last thing that you ate that blew your mind? Wow. I can't even remember what the hell I had for breakfast. (laughs) Um, the first thing that pops into your head doesn't even, even if it's five years ago, what's give me something memorable, uh, from, from like, 20 plus years ago uh what the fuck is it called Breek. it's a i think it's Breek. uh it's a moroccan dish or arabic or i might my, my wife would know and she's probably gonna hear this and go how do you not know this <laughs> because she's that's that's one of her specialties is you know the middle east and she introduced me to this at a at a uh tunisian restaurant in hollywood which was great and all their stuff, but the Breek in particular, it's a fried shell of like really crispy. I always want to call them tortillas. I know it's not a tortilla, but you know, that, that kind of thing. And inside is uh, like cooked egg and different 
I can't even remember what the fuck is in it. All I remember is that I love the damn thing. <laughs> and, you know, whenever we've gone, it's been, yeah, we're getting the fucking brie. Yeah. You know, and she's right there with me, you know, and uh, it's I mean, stuff. It, it tastes great. And that's, yeah, that's the, that's the one that comes to mind. But yeah, I got introduced to that when she and I first started going out uh, more than 20 years ago. Yeah. So, so recurring thing. Yes. Oh, that's, that's fun. I love that kind of, um, I love that kind of thing. Uh, Michelle and I have a, we have a Middle Eastern place in Ohio that where we no longer live. Um, that was like, when we first got married, it was, it was the place that we went to for a very fancy, like dinner, you know, mm-hmm. for poor kids. <laughs> and, uh, and it just, uh, but you know, we would, we started just going there and made it a tradition. And, and now anytime one, either of us is back in Ohio, we eat there. Uh, and I, I just, I kind of love that sort of figure out something as a couple that you really like, and then you keep revisiting it. It's fun. Yeah. So, you know, if you find yourself in Hollywood, Moon of Tunis on Sunset is, uh, is the place and it's this tiny little hole in the wall. Uh, and it just, the food's just fantastic. Ah. Uh. That sounds great. Love it. That was author Stephen Blackmore. Thanks so much to Stephen for taking the time to chat. You can find links to Stephen's website and social media down in the show notes. You can find me, as always, at brianmcclellan.com. Special thanks to James Sutter for music and Tom Bishop for production. If you'd like to support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash pagebreak, or buy my books in ebook, paperback, or audio. Don't forget that my next epic fantasy, In the Shadow of Lightning, is now out. You can also get signed copies of my books direct from my website, or swag from my Redbubble store. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Huge thanks to Kyle Anderson, Patrick Hunt, Elijah, Jennifer and Angela Johnson, and Ivor Gulickson for their backing on Patreon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.